calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey everyone, welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm Sarah Century. And I'm Essie Flinor, and today we are interviewing the one and only, the incredible Amy Chu. You might know Amy from... Dark Horse Comics, Marvel Comics, DC Comics, Dynamite Comics, Lion Forge Comics, more and more comics all the time. She's written some of our favorite characters, Vampirella, Red Sonia, Deadpool, and the love of our lives, Poison Ivy. Thank you for being here today, Amy. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great. And if folks want to find you, Amy, where can they find you on social? Yeah, social media. I'm mostly on Twitter, as much as I hate to say that. It's uh, and it's easy because my name is so short. It's Amy Chu, right? A M Y C H U. And then uh, and then I'm also on Instagram, so it's Amy underscore Chu. And also I have a website, which is also Amy Chu. Yeah. So <laughs> Amy Chu, and that will get you to where you need to go. So I'm a huge fan of yours. I want to say that I've been reading a ton of your stuff for a very long time, or I guess, you know, just like the last few years, but it feels like a long time because you've had a lot of really good runs. I read in an interview that you got into comics kind of via the fandom, like you worked in business and then you paired up with your friend, Georgia. Georgia Lee. Georgia Lee. Thank you so much. And who was one of the writers on The Expanse, right? Right. That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was reading through this interview and seeing kind of how you had gotten into fandom and stuff like that. And I think it's interesting that you became a writer kind of through that, like that introduction. And from what I understand, you didn't really read superhero comics that much before that. So I was just wondering, do you think that that gives you any kind of a different lens on comics or how do you feel about it? Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm that unusual. Uh, Well, actually, no, I take it back. I think kind of unusual being a a writer coming in that way. It's not like I wasn't into fandom, but you know, like I've been a huge Doctor Who, Star Trek, Star Wars, all that type of stuff for, you know, since I was a kid, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, which of course made me incredibly dateable in high school back in the day. I'm just joking. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, I was, I was on the chess team too. So yeah, I was, I think the last girl asked to prom (laughs) in my high school in the Midwest. Anyway, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I know fandom. It's just that I was never really 
in the comics group, you know, because it was mostly superheroes, mostly guys. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't want to imply that I didn't read comics. I did read, <laughs> you know, laugh. I did read comics in college, you know, which is kind of later than a lot of people. But um, don't forget, I went to college at MIT. So everyone read comics at MIT, whether you're a guy or a girl, <laughs> you know, uh, right. and it was, but by that time in college, there's comics for everyone. It's not just superhero. So the stuff that I was exposed to was a lot more the graphic novel. It was the vertigo stuff, you know, so I did read comics. It's just that I didn't really consider it necessarily my thing or my destiny. It, you read comics because everyone else reads comics, just like everyone at MIT at that time were picking locks because somebody published their thesis on lock picking. So, you know. Um, yeah, <laughs> You're just like painting this picture of yourself as like a street kid who's like reading comics and breaking into doors. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so that was undergrad. Um, and so again, this is terrible, but you go to a school like MIT where everyone's a geek, that's the norm. So it's kind of weird to sort of re-enter. I'm very comfortable in the comics world, Mm -hmm. but from where I come from, at least from the years I spent at MIT, you know, that was geekdom. And so for anyone to be like, you're such a poser coming in without having read comics, you know, you're a fake geek girl. I'm like, please, (laughs) really? Um, so yeah, so none of that stuff ever bothered me because I was just like, you are all fake geeks to me. (laughs) So, um, so I did and I did not read comics. I certainly read comics simply because, um, the guy I was dating at the time who was a aero astro major and his buddy had, um, a long box of comics. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a long box of comics, you know, and it was a summer and I was reading everything. And there was, here's this long box of comics. And I just basically read through the whole long box. I'm like, oh my God, these are comics I have never, you know, I was suddenly exposed to comics that were non-superhero. They were so great. I just remember it vividly because, and I didn't really think of myself as a comics reader. I was just basically reading this guy's long box over the summer. And I never really bought comics again after that. And if you let me, I'm going to ramble a little bit here too, because it has a lot to do with my origin story and sort of coming into it. You mentioned my friend Georgia Lee, who basically dragged me into this whole thing. She wanted to write the <laughs> comics. And, and I was like, yeah, I, I remember, you know, comics. I didn't really read them, but I read I read that guy's long box <laughs> ages ago and I really loved it. Sure, if you want to write comics, I'll help you out, <laughs> right? Uh, so I didn't know that this is what would happen. I think she gets a kick out of it because she didn't know that. This would ever happen. Um, and nobody ever knew it happened because I have <laughs> friends from MIT and Wellesley. I did a dual degree. <laughs> so, fast forward to I'm in Cambridge, right? And I'm doing my first signing and I'm getting people from MIT and Harvard. And lo and behold, one of my Wellesley friends stops by and she's like, What the hell, man? I didn't know you were into comics. I'm like, No, well, I wasn't really. It's kind of by accident. But remember back, I was dating that guy, you know, back when we were dating those guys at MIT. <laughs> And uh, this guy had a long box. And she was like, that was my long box. (gasps) What a twist. (laughs) It was her comics the entire time. It was her comics the entire time. She was the comics fan. She lent the guys <laughs> her long box that summer. So it was actually her comics the whole time. Um, so uh, I just thought that was really funny. And, and I think it's just instrumental in saying, you know, we have this preconception of who reads comics. Mm-hmm. Um, she still reads comics. She's 
Her daughter also reads comics. Her husband basically picked up her pull list. He he didn't really read comics. It was all for her. So, but she had good taste, obviously. Oh, of course. <laughs> Are there any specific titles you remember from that long box that like you really liked? Oh, I got to date myself. Uh, you know what? I was thinking so hard. Okay, and th- this was a uh, <laughs> so all this stuff happened really right around 2011. It's long ago, but not that long ago. You know. Uh, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2011, and I was trying to figure things out because I was like, 2011 is when I was like, I don't even know what's going on with my life. I'm suddenly in comics and I'm trying to make comics and I'm running around telling people I didn't really read comics. I didn't really know comics. But then I tell that story about that long box <laughs> and I'm at my first industry event where, again, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, I really, really want to do this. And so I bought myself a seat for the Harvey Awards, you know, the Harvey Awards, mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, my, my thinking, of course, was that I'm new in this business. I don't know anybody. Where are all the professionals going to be? They're going to be in the ballroom at the Harvey Awards, right? So I must be where all these people are so I can learn. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize at that time, nobody does that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Especially someone new. But anyway, right, right. Uh, so this is another, sorry, this is another sort of anecdotal story, but it relates to this question. No. <laughs> uh, so I found out later that nobody does that, right? Especially just a single person and a single new person. Because uh, when I when I walked up and I'm like, hi, you know, I signed up online. <laughs> they gave me my table number. It was table one. It was table one. They put me at the head table because <laughs> they didn't know what else to do with me. You have to understand, you know, the Harvey Awards. <laughs> The Harvey Awards are basically, people are nominated. The publisher is supposed to buy a whole table for their crew. That's what happens, right? Uh, You don't just randomly walk Mm -hmm. in. So I'm like this odd person. They didn't know what else to do with me. So they stick me at the head table. So I sit down and I'm like, and everyone's looking at me like, who the hell are you? You know, Uh, in 2011, it's still not a whole lot of women either, right? Right. And I, I sit down, I'm, and then I am forced to tell my story once again. I'm like, yeah, I really got into comics. I was trying to help my friend. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I really love it. And yeah, I read comics in this long box. And they're like, ooh, exactly <laughs> what you asked. What comics were they? Like, Damn, now I'm on I'm on the hot seat here because, you know, it's so long ago. I had to really think because I really, really liked them. And I'm like, yeah, it was really like... <laughs> you know, laugh. I finally remembered a lot of the comics in that long box were first comics. And I don't remember the specific titles, but you know, first comics back in the day was like American Flag and, mm-hmm. um, oh my God, now I'm going to forget. But anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, I was like, what the hell is that first comic? And they start cracking up because <laughs> the guy who's really asking me all this stuff is Mike Gold. Oh, yeah. The publisher of first comics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm sitting there because I'm like straining so hard. You know, I'm not making this up, right? And I'm like, what, what is the hell? It's like that, that guy, John something and of course mike grell the creator is sitting right across from me you know and so they thought <laughs> that was such a hoot um <laughs> that they were always so nice to me after that so you know when i talk about networking i say well don't do as i do but you know uh, that that is a true story and that's kind of part of my origin in that it is helpful not to be a total total fan boy or girl when it comes to stuff mm-hmm. like that but at the same time, you know, 
you, you get good stories <laughs> like that. That's a great so. story. Anyway, so that was my long way I love of it. <laughs> talking. Yeah. So you can't make that up. And, and to this day, Mike Gold <laughs> has been so nice to me. He's like, anything I can do. You know, he's been very, very, uh, very supportive because of that, I think. Oh, my God. Um, I read uh, that Poison Ivy was the first series that you wrote. Is that yes. correct? Yes, that is correct. Oh that dear, correct. that is, uh, we are huge, huge Poison Ivy fans. And that series is one of the ones, that's like one of the best stories with her. Oh um, yeah, my Cycle God. of Life and Death is amazing. It's so amazing. And so, I mean, we love her. So I was just kind of wondering what drew you to that character. Like, you know, how did you have a background of enjoying that character? Would you write her again? You know, all of that. Oh, of course, all, all of the, but, but, but don't forget, this is not like something I have a say in. The matter right, <laughs> right. As, as, as a new creator you you get what you're given you know mm-hmm. so I thought it was actually quite crazy that they were asking if I was interested in pitching for Poison Ivy you know at that time everyone wanted to do Poison Ivy so I was kind of like is this some kind of mistake you know um, and I think it's even crazier how how much people like that book because it was my first book yeah, that's what's so bonkers. You know, I'm not even supposed to be writing. <laughs> it's totally bonkers. It's like totally alternate universe that I got it, that I could write it. And it was very stressful writing that. And to have people like it so much, it, it's really, it is mind boggling. I mean, I, I'm happy, obviously, but it sort of raises the bar all of a sudden. It's like, wait, I'm not even supposed to be doing this. You know, can I still <laughs> do this? I get, I feel really insecure about it sometimes. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I mean, but then it turned out to be, I mean, for the people who I talk to about Poison Ivy, I think that that's one of the favorite stories. So, I I mean, I'm thrilled. But let's not forget, I mean, Poison Ivy is one of those characters that really, there hasn't been a lot of good material for Poison Ivy. No, there has not. So, so, I mean, I take it all with a grain of salt. I really, really love what I did with Clay on that. But at the same time, there wasn't a whole lot before, so. Yeah, you had kind of a low basement, you know? Low so. base, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You didn't open with, like, a graphic murder. So right there, doing right? good. <laughs> right. Doing solid, you know? Um, I, I'm being sarcastic, but honestly, we we totally adored that run. And, you know, I liked the Harley in it. I liked, you know, it's something that Sarah and I talk a lot about. Ivy and Harley, because why wouldn't we? And I just really loved how Ivy felt like the same person. And there's like this moment where she just sets this hard boundary with Harley, who can be like, you know, codependent as fuck. And it's just such a like a refreshing moment because even though it creates some tension between them and we see it resolved over the course of the run, it just is such a powerful moment, I think, for both characters and to move away from each other too to do some of their own personal things. That's something Sarah and I constantly talk about loving about those two characters. And I thought you were just like dead on it right there. And I don't know. I just loved it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, I think part of it, too, is I was trying to write from authenticity, right? Like these are real relationships. I really hate the stories where you're like, that person would not do that. A lot of the the other Poison Ivy stories, I don't want to like slam on people. But, you know, like if I were Poison Ivy... I wouldn't do that. If you have all the power she has, why bother? I'm not gonna kiss a guy. Right. I mean, who cares? Exactly. <laughs> right. Like what? The like least of her powers. Right. For right. men. Like, for men. Like I would care <laughs> if I were poison ivy. I got better things to do. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's the way I approached it. But like, you fuck with a dog or a plant. 
Yeah, Mm-mm. right? And that, oh, I was just like, that's my Ivy. So that's being consistent to me. It's like you figure out, you know, because we were like, well, she's a, she's a villain. I'm like, no, she's got her own set of morality. If you were her, what would you do? That's what you would do, you know? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so different compared to a lot of the approaches of Ivy. I mean, I think things are changing now and it's getting like a little bit more fleshed out. We'll see, <laughs> you know, don't quote me on that basically. <laughs> but... um <laughs> You did such a great job on that series. And of course, like, as I say, the characterization was so solid. So I really appreciate how you went on to do Red Sonia, who's also, to me, just equally iconic as somebody whose comics I was reading when I was really young. And Gail Simone did such a great version of Red Sonia. And I feel like your run on Red Sonia has just kind of taken everything that was, you know, that hit the mark in Gail Simone's run and just kind of built upon it. Well, thank you. That's exactly what I was trying to do. Yeah. Nailed it. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, my yeah. God, Gail wrote this and now I got to write this. <laughs> Very yeah. tough. Very tough. Yeah. 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 She is. So a, she's glad. a hard act to follow for sure. For sure. <laughs> I know. I wasn't trying to do what Gail did. I was literally trying to build right. off what she did because I can't write like Gail. She's got her own. Right. <laughs> you know. As much as I would like to, you know. Um, <laughs> so it's respecting what she did, but trying to do my own take on it. Um, yeah. You know. I was going to say, I feel like that's that's why we read comics. I don't want to read the same thing. I like seeing how someone looks at another facet of the character, shines light on something I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. But like you were saying, they still have to be faithful to who the character is. And that's what I saw so much in your run coming out of after Gale, you know, like Red Sonia is so irresistible as a character because she's just so strong, so indefatigable, just like the bomb at every turn. But she also has all these other dimensions, right? Like she carries such a heavy load on her back and she cares so much about doing right by people. And I just it was so fun to see how you play with her and, and you know, taking her to different locations and you know, bringing her to New York City and like letting her lose was like pretty freaking fun. <laughs> Thank you. You know, again, it's one of those things is like, well, you know, if you were Red Sonia, what would you do? You know, you'd be like walking around like stupid Conan, like, like, what, what is this strange village? You know, like she's basically like, ah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm in oh, a different beer? place now, I guess. Yeah. Beer. beer. I'll take a beer. Thank you. <laughs> Well, again, if you were Red Sonia coming from the Hyborian age and, you know, you're presented with a cold <laughs> beer, you're going to like it, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. Also, a higher alcohol content. You're probably going to feel right. that. Love that. <laughs> you know, the niceties of modern living. Yeah. <laughs> when she takes a bath and she's like, yes, a bath. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> and that was obviously a play on Gail's, you know, uh, whole stinky Sonia run, too. I just thought yeah. I would be, uh, play a little bit with that. So, But yeah, I had no idea I would be writing as much Red Sonia as I did. I think they only asked me to do six issues. I really thought I was only going to do six issues. Yeah, it seems like the first six issues do stand alone really well. But then it's like, as it keeps going, I think it just kind of gets better and better. It's been another one of those. Thank you. I was like getting more and more insecure. I'm like, whoa, I was only supposed to do six and now it's 25. (laughs) It's like, where am I going? Yeah, well, it seems like, honestly, you know, there's times where I just feel like people are constantly challenging themselves on like a character and kind of building from it. But that's how I always feel whenever I read the Red Sonia run. Um. Also, now you're working with uh, Eric Burnham, right? Yeah. So, so 
So that was actually, I'm so glad it worked out because I was really like, oh my God. Um, and at that time too, I was working on so many different things. So I was also right. working on Kiss and <laughs> yeah. other things. And I'm now I'm going to, I'm going to reveal something that I haven't really talked about at all. And it is the deep seated insecurity of being a writer, but also being, as you know, like I never thought I was going to be a writer. And here I am doing this uh, iconic character. And I always struggled. You know, I don't I don't have a problem. It's not like I'm trying to be coy or anything or downplay because I know I'm good at pacing and story and characterization. My whole thing with Red Sonia was her crew, you know, like she's in New York. She's going to need allies. You know, this Mm -hmm. is my opportunity to build that colorful supporting cast you know, and it's also my opportunity to bring in a librarian. I always wanted to put in a librarian, <laughs> you know, badass tattooed librarian into a series, right? So I got I all it. that down. But the one thing, uh, which I never even discussed with Dynamite, but I was just like, oh, this is the hardest part. I could never really figure out Red Sonia's voice. Her dialogue, when I wrote it, just never seemed right. And I had met Eric Burnham before at multiple conventions, really great guy. But he is, in my opinion, way better with that kind of dialogue than I am. And so I'm like, you know, can we do this? You know, I'll do the first pass and then you do, you know, you basically will co-write together. So that's how that came about. And thank God for that, because that was, I forgot when he started. But so he, he was instrumental in several issues after the first arc doing that. So that's the backstory of all that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really pleased with how it turned out. And I'm, I'm really happy that people enjoy that run because th- that's what it's meant for. I mean, it's entertainment. It's meant mm-hmm. to, it's escapism, but hopefully sort of smart escapism. Like I said, it was my opportunity. I feel good that whenever I can get a PhD into a story, that's what I'm aiming <laughs> for. You know, I did that with Poison Ivy. I'm like, okay, where, yep. where can I fit? <laughs> You know, female PhD. Okay. <laughs> the librarian. Yeah. Pretty recently, I think we did a comic of the week where we just kind of raved about how much we love uh, Red Sonia meets Vampirilla meets yeah. Betty and Veronica. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. How how did that series come to be? Oh, because I feel God. like a lot of people were like, that's the most bonkers concept I've ever heard. And I was like, it is, but it's. I'm sure it's going to be great. So I was with that series from like day one. Oh my God. And thank you. Yeah. Of that, course. I again, love it. it's terrifying, you know, because every time it's like, I what, what have I done to my life? You know, so Red Sonia, I really love Red Sonia, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not sure where, where, where am I going, you know, as, as, as a writer. And, and it was their idea, first of all, Dynamite came up with a crossover and they're like, hey, do you want to write this? And I'm like, are you crazy? I didn't say that. That was my thought balloon. You know, they, 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 they brought it up like, why the hell would these characters ever be together? And of course, I didn't say that. Uh, you know, I was very polite, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I was like, I should say no because you know, if it's bad, it's going to be bad. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, well, that is so bonkers. If I can actually come up with a story, then I feel like I did my own self hazing, and then I'm legitimately a writer. <laughs> so. <laughs> If I said if I can do this, that means I really truly am a writer. That's, oh man, that's really how it came about. So I, thought I gotta I thought say, about it. yeah, it's like the most beautiful hazing I've ever seen the results of. You know, like like I don't usually experience post hazing to be such an 
awesome and fun experience. <laughs> I am so happy because I was like, I, I think I can make this work, you know? And then, you know. It feels yeah. like it was almost like it's like when you're making really good stew. It's like you have to yes. put more ingredients in than you think, but you have to have them <laughs> the right amount. And you really mm-hmm. nailed it with this. And I think it's nice, too, how you balance it across the different arcs, you know? And I don't know. I was like, Sarah, I don't know about this. And she was like, yes, you do, because I'm <laughs> telling you to read it. And I was like, you know what? Good point. You are Sarah. <laughs> and I loved every second. It was oh, it was like totally yeah. Riverdale. And it was totally Betty and Veronica. And and it was somehow totally Red Sonia and Vampirella if they were in Riverdale. And I love, I thought there were so many funny resonances with the TV show and, and how, you know, all these like children look like they're 40. And then like Red Sonia and Vampirella walk in and they're like, we're children. We're just large because we're European. <laughs> Boy, that's so funny. Well, I think it, it was all, that was the hardest part is the balance, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and and that's why I wanted to do it. It's like, you know, if I can do this and show that I can write a team book, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. that's so crazy, but still works. That means I can do this for other things, too, hopefully. Uh, but I got to <laughs> say, it, it is really hard. It's probably the hardest series I've ever written. And especially now, I, I just turned in the last issue. So it hasn't been drawn yet. But, you know, I, I, I get so nervous. I'm like, oh, my God, I hope this works. I hope it pulls off because it's... I try to plan these things. As you know, I like a good reveal. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yeah. So hopefully you're not disappointed. But and of course, you know, the main thing is like, I got to get Betty or Veronica to Dracula. <laughs> that was my whole thing is like, that would be hilarious. I know. See, oh, man, as a longtime Vampirilla fan, I was losing my mind whenever it was like, and now we have to go to Dracula. And I was like, what? Because why? <laughs> it was why strange. not? You know? Where else do we go? Exactly. You don't want to stick around Riverdale anymore. Where would you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> why not go to Dracula? Though? Yeah, if you're going to uh, keep upping the ante, you, you got to keep upping the ante. And you did by going to Dracula. There I go. <laughs> My only regret, if I had more issues, I would have them spend more time in space. That, that's the only thing I would have <laughs> liked to do. Because we haven't seen a lot of Betty and Veronica in space. That's right. Almost huh. nothing, in fact. So why not? Um, but that that's like a whole nother series. So. I was like, I, I'm seeing a series right there. Betty and Veronica in space. I'd read it. Right. Betty and Veronica and Battlestar Galactica. You know, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. A lot of opportunities. Oh, and because they're both reporters, they have such distinct decades and decades of history as characters. You can do ridiculous shit with them and it works. Yeah. It's, uh, what is it? It's the willing suspension of disbelief. We already know these characters. I don't need to kill anybody. I don't need to do anything. It's, you know... (laughs) But stick to the, the true nature of their character is very important. Yes. Well, that is the best. And that's why I think a lot of these comics are so fun for people like me who have been reading these characters for such a long time to be able to jump in and read somebody who's keeping it consistent and kind of introducing, you know, new things that aren't discordant, I guess. I also want to talk to you about Green Hornet because oh. that's another series that <laughs> so is just good. kind of like, what? Thank <laughs> you. I, I like Green Hornet. Amy, you made me like Green Hornet. I am so, I I really wish, you know, that's the other regret. I really, really enjoyed writing Green Hornet. I just wish more people would have bought it. 
Right. Um, you know, if they had, I probably would have gotten one more arc out of it and that would have been great. But who knows? Who knows? But I really had fun with that series. I think I was listening to maybe a sci-fi interview with you and it was just kind of you talking about how Green Hornet has been around forever, just as long as Superman basically, and hasn't really caught the public consciousness as much. And I I think that you went into Green Hornet telling an iconic story to be like, what's up? (laughs) Like, this is Green Hornet. And I think that that's why it works so well, you know, like as a reader, it works really, really well. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. And and part of the problem is the whole Green Hornet franchise is it should be way more popular than it actually is right now. You know, Green Hornet should be as popular as Batman. I mean, he's richer in a lot of ways. He's got a lot of more cool stuff. and, and, And he's older. Is he older? His, his I whole... think so. Yeah. yeah I mean, I he's drawn so. like a little bit older. Yeah. I know. I should, I should know these. And things, he's got like but... his anti hero thing, you know, like a little, like anti hero, mysterious, yeah. balancing good and evil. Like that's, that's everything we love in comics. Right. And there's, there's, there's a lot of old school stuff about Green Hornet that makes it very attractive to write the, that whole franchise. I did some research. I am not the first woman to write Green Hornet, but I'm definitely the first woman to write the series. So, of course, I have to do that because I'm like, well, why not? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I feel like it's such a disservice not to write a, a good story with that character. But right. also, um, it's my opportunity because Green Hornet was really popular. My parents are from Hong Kong, you know, so they know mm-hmm. Green Hornet from the 60s. And so that whole generation, because of Bruce Lee and Cato, you know, it, it's like, this is my opportunity to actually write something they may actually want to read. <laughs> Yeah. Aww. Did they read it? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. They're, they're kind of, they're, 
they're very Chinese parents in that way. It's kind of like you don't really know. Are they? Do they think what I'm doing is <laughs> weird, or are they proud of me? I'm not really sure. <laughs> So that's why I was like, Green Hornet, you know what? If I make if I make Green Hornet Cato's daughter, you know, we put some badass martial arts and we take some of the action to Hong Kong. You know, so there's a theme. I really like to change up, the, yeah. you know, the environment to cool places. And let's do part of the story in Hong Kong. We'll set some of the action in Hong Kong, you know, which is a lot of fun for me. And, and, and that's the great thing about working with, with Dynamite is they just let me do stuff like that. We're like, yes, and we're going to go to Istanbul and then we're going to go to Hong Kong. You're like, oh, okay, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, you know, I get to do things like that. So it was a lot of fun. So I hope more people read it, you know. Yes, same. We'll do that as a comic of the week soon, too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so also, I noticed that you have some creator-owned work that actually I haven't read. So I was looking oh. through uh, your bibliography and just kind of trying to figure out all of the different things that you've written. And this was how I discovered that Poison Ivy was your first series. But I was just curious about some of that because I saw that you had started even a publishing company. And is that still going? Or Well, sort of. I mean, that. so we've gone way off my business plan, you know, that company (laughs) was what I started with Georgia back in the day. That Mm -hmm. was supposed to be, she would write and I would publish. And somehow that turned into me writing. (laughs) (laughs) And and those are the self-published stories that, because it's almost impossible to so-called break in to comics. I just say, hey, I want to write Poison Ivy. It doesn't work that way. You have to have (laughs) done something before, which typically means you got to self-publish. And that's exactly what I did. So I just ended up self-publishing multiple stories just to, again, try to prove my writing chops and I could write any kind of story. And I guess it worked. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, seems okay. like it worked out pretty well. <laughs> I feel like we're missing a link between two moments in time. Okay, we've got the time of Georgia uh-huh. and you're supporting her. She's going to do the writing. And then you write these creator-owned. What happened in there? What, oh, so, what what did you do? Uh, yeah, so I lost a couple years of my life, basically. Uh, it, it, it was literally like that. When I think back on it, it's kind of like, you know, it's like when you have kids, you kind of erase that, <laughs> the pain of childbirth, that like, you know, so you can have another one kind of thing. Uh, it's the same thing where uh, I sort of lost, uh, I lost a couple years of my life where I, I don't even know what happened because I went so so, you know, it's like apocalypse now. I went so far down the river, so deep in the jungle. I'm like, how hard can this be? You know, I, it's it's a business. You write, I'll figure out, you know, we get artists, we do all that stuff. Uh, I went to my first comic convention, which was actually, I think it was C2E2. We went there and walking around. I'm like, oh my God, this is like a whole nother world. I didn't even know. Went from that to Georgia saying, okay, so we're in, right? We're going to do this. And she basically got me to sign up for an online class, an online writing class. Uh, And this was 2011. This is my missing year, 2011. Uh, I signed (laughs) up for this online writing class where I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, (laughs) it's like, I'll do it. But needless to say, I was the only woman in the class. The rest of the class were a bunch of dudes who immediately started arguing about Martian Manhunter or something like that, where I'm like thinking, I don't even know who the hell Martian Manhunter is. I had a Wikipedia every single character. And, and don't forget, 2011, I got two small kids, too. So not only am I the only woman, I got two kids crawling all over me, and I didn't know who Martian Manhunter was. How could I possibly 
be a comics writer or fan. <laughs> so that's kind of how my 2011 started. Uh, and it, it, it really kind of became a chip on my shoulder that I was like, <laughs> I don't see what Martian Manhunter has to do with anything about writing comics, right? <laughs> so, so I wrote my first story, not necessarily to prove anything, but just because that's the class you write a script right, right. and I wrote the script I'm sort of cutting out a lot of stuff here and I'm still friends with sure. a lot of guys I'm, I'm not trying to be but you know you know the, <laughs> the, that situation right um, oh yeah Amy yeah, the yeah. podcast is called bitches on comics we <laughs> yeah, are with okay. you we are with you we are with you <laughs> the the assignment is to write a five-page script and to write a five-page script and turn it in on time and so of course I do that because I'm a student. I've done that before. I turned it in and I would say a good half of them didn't turn it in or they turned it in. But like, I can't do it five pages. It needs to be 10 pages. I couldn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that. Yep. The, the assignment is to write a five page script. And I did it. Right. And lo and behold, the instructor who's an ex-Marvel editor was like, hey, let's talk about Amy's script. It's really good. Uh, like what <laughs> no I write PowerPoint I don't, I'm not really here for me I'm here to help my friend and that's how it started because once you have that taste of somebody reading your stuff that is not a business PowerPoint and saying oh I really like the reveal nobody ever says that in a business meeting like wow that really moved me you know? <laughs> that pie chart that pie chart was so elegant you know nobody ever says that <laughs> The bar graph really moved me. Yeah, exactly. The You know, <laughs> so I got really sort of swept up in the whole thing where I'm like, wow, I can actually write and people like it. They find it funny or they're moved or whatever. It's kind of intoxicating. So I literally spent the entire of 2011 just learning craft. I was like, I got to learn a letter. I got to learn to, I even took an art class because I was like, well, I need to understand how the artists think. You know, so I can write mm -hmm. scripts better. And I learned to color, too. So I can actually kind of flat in letter. I, basically, the whole end game <laughs> by the end of 2011 was still very much Georgia would write the stories and I will do everything else. And so <laughs> 2012. <laughs> and and, and we, we also wanted to do comics that actually had featured women without flashing cleavage. You know, you would think this is this is apparently groundbreaking for 2011. <laughs> but it was because our first convention, yeah. here we are peddling our comics with a woman who is not showing cleavage. And we got plenty of people commenting on that. I'm like, okay, this is a sad, <laughs> sad state. Yeah. That, you know, you're saying that. Even now, it's still kind of difficult. Right. Um, but anyway, so th that 2011... Don't even know what happened, uh, but we <laughs> produced our first comic called Meridian City, and she wrote the script, and I didn't draw it, of course, but I hired, I found all the artists, I even lettered it myself. But like I said, you you go so far down that path where I actually printed it three times because I just kept getting better and better, and I wanted to do a better job on each each version, so. That's such a good metaphor for writing, right? Like, you can never write anything as good as your craft is. Because you're constantly getting better as a writer. Mm -hmm. And Sarah and I both write fiction. And so it's just like so exciting to get to talk to someone who, you know, I just love how you share that you're nervous and we're nervous and still <laughs> are nervous. And it's like, I'm fucking nervous all the time. <laughs> like, oh, that's yeah, you can't be nervous. <laughs> Every morning I wake up and like, what the hell am I doing? Is And is what I'm doing any good? So, you know. And, and someday somebody's going to figure out that I'm a complete fraud. It's true. I, I feel that all the time. And logically, I know 
you know, I've written enough by now that I should know that it's okay. But I still feel like that. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I really, really relate to that. Sarah and I talk a lot about different parts of like the creative process. We're also publishing a fiction anthology in June. We're doing a pride related fiction anthology. We're very excited. And part of like what we're trying to encourage people to do is just like submit, let somebody else read your work. Just, you have to, you know, you're never going to know how well it is or isn't working if you don't expose yourself to an audience. Right, right. Hey, so it's May right now, but soon it's going to be June and June is Pride Month. And what we are going to do, I, I don't mean to blow anybody's mind, but that is what we <laughs> reserve June for is drinking vodka at like nine o'clock in the morning. It's mixed with cranberry juice and really hot. (laughs) And then you stand in the sun until you get exposure. But you're happy about it. And that's what pride is like. So (laughs) 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 for this pride, we're independent artists, independent creators, and we're going to support independent creators and people who want to read stuff that is by independent queer creators as opposed to being corporatized, which is unfortunately another aspect of Pride. So it'll be really great and really fun. You can get a subscription right now until May 17th for $12, which is cheaper than the price that will be after May 17th, which is $15, which is still pretty good, but you want to save a few bones, then you can. Absolutely. That's 30 stories. 30 stories for either $12 or $15. And by stories, we mean comics, flash fiction, short stories, long foam short stories. All of the stories will also have a cool art element done by our one and only Sarah Century. It is going to be such a cool program, and we really want you to come join us. It's decodedpride.com. So 2011, I was like, I spent all that time learning. 2012 and 2013, I started writing all these short stories. And there's a certain point where you do need support. You do need an audience. But you also sometimes need to distance yourself from, I would say, like people who, some of it is just plain old taste, you know? Um, Mm, And I find mm -hmm. that when you're a, a woman, and it's mostly guys, all the guys seem to want to tell you how to do things. And I know this from experience at MIT too, that, you know, when you're in a study group and you're the only woman, everyone else has the right answer except you, you know, mm-hmm. and even though you have the right answer. And it's the same <laughs> thing in comics or after a while, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do as I do. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't need you to critique my script. <laughs> we'll just let it, we'll just let the readers decide, you know? And I think that worked out to, for the best. Uh, and that's uh, yeah. part of the reason I self-publish, you know, people like my stuff, they'll like my stuff. Yeah. So it was great. It, it it was hard, actually. But that, of course, eventually led to my first DC. So I got I got a little, uh, you know, this was exciting, of course. You know, and it's a shame that people still don't do more anthologies, but that's really how you break in. And I finally got my big break in a Vertigo anthology. Like a lot of people, I'm in the same, I'm in the uh, CMYK quarterly with Tom King. You know, there's a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say we're the same generation, but you know what I mean? It's like, you know, yeah. that's the opportunity to get published and, and show off our writing chops. And, you know, that was huge, you know, and that could have been my only story. 
truthfully. That could have been my only story ever published. And I would have gone back to self-publishing. But, you know, I got more stuff and I got even more stuff after that. And it was great. It was good. Where do you think that you want to go after this? Because you said that you're wrapping Red Sonia and Vampirilla meets Betty and Veronica. And yeah, so what series will you be working on next? Oh, I don't know. Uh, especially now. <laughs> so, uh, so literally. Oh, my, right. Yeah. Yeah. My only my only goal, honestly, is to clear all this stuff off my plate so I can actually uh play some video games. I haven't done that <laughs> since like 2011. <laughs> right. You know, it's literally to the, I mean, I'd like to get back to actually You can't have changed that much in 9 years, you know. They, they're <laughs> well, probably I the just, same. Yeah, I I'm going to pretend in my bubble. I'm just going to catch up on all the games I missed out during that time. Uh, that would <laughs> mm-hmm. that would be seriously nice. Uh but but you know, in this business, part of it is the opportunity, but also definitely want to get back to creator owned absolutely uh but that's also fraught the thing with licensed or work for hire is i like working with constraints i like somebody giving me a crappy character (laughs) that people are have done wrong by and letting me Mm -hmm. fix that character Mm. and of course usually (laughs) that's a female character so (laughs) i i i I like it it's it before before I was in comics, I, I'm, I'm what is sort of called as like a turnaround consultant. Like your business is failing. I'm the one that goes in and fixes it. You know, <laughs> I had to troubleshoot and figure out and come up with a new business plan. It's the same thing with comics. You know, you give me some crappy character. I shouldn't say crappy, but you know what I mean. Uh, something <laughs> some, that's Some characters that have not been used as well as they could exactly. be. Exactly. That's a nicer way of saying it. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I think about it, I come up with a strategy. It's like, yeah, no, this, this character has been done wrong because of this. Let's, let's try to fix that. And that, that's mm-hmm. kind of how I approach it. So I like that. I like it a lot because I, I feel like fandom appreciates that. Green Hornet, there's nothing that makes me happier to have one of those Green Hornet fans, and you know what I'm talking about, they they grew up with Green Hornet, they gotten really crotchety because Green Hornet has been done <laughs> so poorly, you know, right. by the fan base. Mm-hmm. And they always come up with like, okay, I was not going to like your run because I could already <laughs> tell I was going to hate your run, but I gave it a shot and it's really good. And then they walk Aww. away. <laughs> I love that. It makes up for everything. I would rather have that than have it sell gangbusters and not have that because it says to me that I, I did figure it out and I understood, you know, what the character was about. Yeah. <laughs> I still get I still get somebody like that. Every convention, they sort of Aww. come up, they're kind of timid. They're usually in their about they're in their fifties. <laughs> and they're like, Yeah, yeah, I was a Green Hornet fan and you know, it, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> not your parents yet but they might they, they, might, they, might, they might at some point my dad will write a very lengthy email as he does <laughs> <laughs> dissecting it of course, of course he's never gonna listen to this podcast so <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> yeah not not too worried about that not worried yeah <laughs> It's going to turn out that he's on every episode, like, listening. Oh, man. Well, who knows? Because <laughs> I, as it turned out, his dad in Hong Kong, nobody tells me these things because, you know, like, I for, you know, 2011 and 12, I was not telling my parents I was doing all this. They had no idea until I started getting stuff published years later. And when that happened, I was like, oh, I don't know how they're going to take it. You know? <laughs> it's like I'm coming out. It's like, I don't know how to break it to you guys, but... um. I'm now a comics writer. <laughs> so it turns out somebody let the cat out of the bag and told my grandmother. And so my grandmother was like, so 
I hear you're writing comics. I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Who told you? Uh, And it turned out that my grandfather was a huge DC fan since the 50s. Nobody bothered to tell me that he had squirreled away a huge collection in a safe, not for the kids, but for himself. Uh, Yeah. And so there's that. Did he read any of your comics? No, no, he he passed away a long time ago. Mm. So again, I guess people didn't really feel the need to ever bring that up. Oh (laughs) my gosh. That 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 would help me in any way. (laughs) Like, wow, thank you. Yeah. Anyway, so I I assume, you know, in the afterlife somewhere, he's really having a good time seeing how this panned out, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would be super stoked (laughs) in his shoes. Like, yeah, go Amy. Yeah. I mean, you know, be, being Chinese American, Asian American, there for a lot of us we're really sort of like, no, no, no. You you need a real job. Be a computer program, be a doctor, <laughs> be you know, nobody ever was like, you know, I'm like 10 years old and say, "Hey, have you ever thought about being a comic book writer?" You know? <laughs> that is not the career path ever. Ever that is brought up. So, I I'm just glad it all worked out. Yeah, I would say it has. Um, this has been just absolutely delightful. Thank you so much for your time. I don't know, Sarah, do you have any other questions? Yeah, I was just going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add, Amy? Oh, no, I feel like I rambled. I hope that, you know, I <laughs> sort of talked about the cool stuff that I need to talk about. I don't know. Um, I laughed so hard I cried at least twice. So I think we're good. I think <laughs> I think you, you nailed it. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. If, if we start setting rules on rambling on this podcast, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. Like, Sarah and I will both be fired by ourselves. Yeah, we're getting fired. Definitely. Um, Our sound engineer host. will stay. <laughs> Yeah, no, this was lovely. I, As I say, I'm a huge fan of your work. I think that your run on Red Sonia's and Gail Simone's also are, are the things that kind of made me be like, you know, I've been reading this character forever. Those are the runs where I'm like, I can hand this to other people oh <laughs> and like God. have them read it wow. because, you know, there's like some of that. It's been so great to read your stuff. And I look forward to whatever it is that you end up doing. Um, Jughead and right. um, Red Sonia <laughs> yes. and Betty and Veronica in space. They all sound really great. So just, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, go ahead and follow Amy on everything. Yeah, because, go ahead and of follow course. me on everything. I, I'm still experimenting because there's so much out there. But for the most part, you know, I'm, I also have the, because um, a lot of people can't re- necessarily remember, but my, my website, I also have iWriteComics.com because I frequently get confused with being an artist and I'm not an artist. <laughs> so iWriteComics.com is mine. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Clever. So, um, and you know, I just realized it's like super funny because I think we talked about how feminist your work is through specific examples. But obviously, thank you for creating works that are so deeply feminist that we can actually, as comic readers, just relax and read it and know that nothing horrific, nothing terrible, nothing anti woman, nothing anti queer, nothing anti non binary, you know, we're not going to be exposed to abject hatred and unfortunately that's not always a guarantee when we open comics oh so for thank sure you. no no but you know thank you it, it, uh, if i may say i i feel like it's it's really funny and i'm glad you bring it up because i can't tell you how many readers come up to me at certain conventions and i'm talking about mostly guys who are like i loved your stuff i am so glad you're not like one of those crazy feminists <laughs> and i'm like did you read the comic <laughs> 
great. You you did you nailed Red Sonia. Strong female, not like these crazy social justice warriors. I'm like, did you read the comic? <laughs> It's crazy. Um, it's I don't know. Anyway, I, I I have a good laugh. I'm happy they enjoyed it. Clearly, there is some disconnect here, but right you know, uh, because I, Red Sonia isn't organizing like the Women's March, then like they just <laughs> yeah. What they confuse things with is uh, she's obviously very she's got she got a lot of boobage, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's flying around, and they they figure because I didn't want it to basically put more clothes on her I must not be a feminist which right, you know huh. and that's not the same thing but the truth is no. I did try to put more clothes on her because I was like wow that is not a lot you cannot walk around New York <laughs> like that you cannot in a walk snowstorm? around well uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the story about the snowstorm is that wasn't in the script uh-huh. I was like crap um Carlos you know he's drawing her beautifully and beautifully sexily but I'm like that is not going to work. So I was like, Carlos, I forgot to tell you it's winter and there's snow coming down. So she's going to need a jacket. <laughs> so that's kind of how I handled that. But. Uh, and Sarah and I, we've, we've done whole episodes talking about like women should wear whatever women want to wear. Right, right. She can wear and, whatever she wants to yeah. wear. But also, like, if it's winter and cold, maybe she should put a coat on because, you know, she doesn't have ice skin or whatever the hell you might make it where you didn't have to. She's tough. But, you know, again, it's not going to work in New York. Maybe it'll work in L.A. if we were in L.A. But (laughs) she's in New York and it's a bit of a distraction. So let's. And that's how I got the motorcycle, too, because I was like, you know, Uh, what? first of all, it's badass that she rides a motorcycle. Oh, yes. So So, like she cannot ride a motorcycle, you know, with a. Chainmail bikini, a scale mail bikini. She's gonna need. She's gonna need pants now, Carlos. You're gonna have to put her in pants. Um, but it was also pretty funny in Red Sonia and Vampirella meet Betty and Veronica when she's like, "Don't wear pants. I don't." <laughs> I died. I was like, "Red Sonia." <laughs> yeah, you know, because that's what she would say. Totally. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, oh. yeah. In that series, almost specifically, like her voice comes across really well because oh, so it's well. contrast to all of the other characters. Well, so it's funny. I found it easier. I told you I was having trouble writing Red Sonia's voice in the other series. I found it much easier to write in the crossover because exactly that. In contrast, it's a lot easier to have her voice in response to everyone else's. <laughs> right. So. Well, yeah, makes that sense. makes sense. Those, those extreme <laughs> contrasts can make things easier to do. Well, you know what? Thanks for doing a little <laughs> epilogue. Uh, that was really great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy. I am just like grinning ear to ear. I am so happy that we had you on the show. Thank you for making time for us. Oh, this is so much fun. We're a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.